This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Guys, welcome to the podcast, Full Blast Podcast. Before we get into it, my brother, Ben Camone, he's back. He's back. We got to talk about a little bit of business. Number one, Broadback Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. I'm telling you, just get it. It's the best. It's great. The attachments, the, 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 all the, the parts, the service, everything about it. It's worth it. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK10, you can get 10% off all the grinders, attachments, and parts. That's it. Period. That's it. I mean, I've said it all. It's said it all. Next is Even Heat. Manufacture the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next Even Heat oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Definitely check out the solid, the tap control, the solid state drive. I have two. I depend on them. If you're going to depend on an, on an oven, get yourself an Even Heat. All right? Just, it's enough. I'm going to fucking whip through these because you've heard it, guys. Number three. Nordic Edge. That's at Nordic underscore Edge. They're the makers of Pro Tools for knife makers in Australia. They have great stuff. The screw-on carbide file guides. They have um, they have the Big Mert file guide. They have the bro- the brooch. They have beveling jigs. If you're a knife maker or you're a blacksmith and you want to get into it, this is the stuff for you. So go to NordicEdge.com.au. And if you're in Australia and you want to learn about it, they have they have kits. They have packages. They have all the stuff you're going to need to get squared away or resupplied. Jamie Bishop's involved. Uh, Mert Tansy's involved. It's good enough for them. It's good enough for you. So go check out my friends at nordicedge.com.au and give them a follow on Instagram. That's uh, at nordicedge. It's at nordic underscore edge on Instagram. I have it. It's in the it's in the show notes. Go check it out there. Next is my friends at Maritime Knife Supply. That is my brother Lawrence Lake. Lawrence Lake. Lawrence Lake's a funny guy. He's great, and he's very involved in the knife-making community. He's up in Canada, and if you want to get stocked or resupplied or belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, press, heat-treating ovens, anvils, all that stuff, go get yourself, uh, go over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, and he'll get you squared away. If you get the 10-pack of abrasive belts, you get one, you get 10% off, so that's really good. TR Maker Equipment, anything you need to get resupplied, anything in the knife-making game, and if you want something you don't think you have, it go check him out and send him a message i'm sure he can get a hold of it uh i'm under the impression he's got him if you have to, if you listen to knife talk he just let, let us know he's got some i think he might be getting that up yours lube that they've been talking about on knife talk those guys those people at knife talk so definitely check out those my, my brother over lawrence lake over at maritime knife supply he also sponsors a lot of shows he's awesome i want to thank my friends sam and jeff over at trojan horse forge they're the makers of the tape the t the thf Stable rail knife finishing vice. This thing is awesome. But I'm telling you why it's awesome. It's great for hand sanding. It's great for finishing your handles. But now they have some new stuff available. And if you go to TrojanHorseForge.com and put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off everything, including the handle press attachment. I know you make you make hidden tang knives, but you, it's hard to glue them up. But now you, you got it. If you already had the vice, 
get yourself the handle press attachment and it'll help you glue on your handles. Uh, and not to mention the vice is the best for hand sanding blades, finishing blades. It's the best. Check out what they got going on. Trojanhorseforge.com and check out the T4 Sentinel oil. I'm, I'm going I'm to get some soon and, and hopefully I'll, I, I'm under the impression it's awesome stuff. So check out that. Full Blast 10 gets you 10% off. Next is Baker Forge and Tool. That's bakerforge.com. Baker Forge and Tool on Instagram. If you're a knife maker and you're interested in some high quality exotic steels like Damascus and Copper Mascus and, and Copper Mai and all these different things, definitely check out what's going on over bakerforge.com. And if you put in the promo code full blast, uh, you will get 10, uh, you'll get 10% off. You get 10% off. You get 10% off all their steels. You'll get 10% off, off their etching gator piss and you will, uh, not regret it. The gator piss is unbelievable. We've been talking blue in the paint, uh, blue in the face. It's really dynamite stuff. And uh, I would highly recommend even just trying it. Uh, and if you're a stock removal guy, this is the stuff for you. Uh, the steel comes annealed and it's beautiful. And it's all, oh, I've been, every time I use it, I'm always surprised how nice it looks. So go check out what's going on over at, uh, bakerforge.com. Next is my friends at Total Boat, Total Boat dot com slash full blast get yourself some of that uv resin get some of that two-part epoxy it's for boaters and diyers but you know you're a knife maker and you're thinking to yourself i wonder if this will work for me i really 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 like their two-part epoxy and i've been using it and it's really really cool and it's for boats so it's good enough for uh all these boat builders i mean that's the te that's the true test right i mean if it's i mean it's good enough for them it's good enough for you uh and i would highly suggest going checking out what total boat has uh, if you're a craft person, if you are a maker or something like that, uh, lots of makers like Keith Decent, Derek from Alden, Keith Johnson, uh, Jimmy Duresta, they're all using Total Boat. So check out totalboat.com slash full blast. Next is my friend, are my friends at GL Hansen & Sons, makers of G-Carta, which is a unique composite of natural fibers and fabrics mixed with epoxy under pressure and heat. Um, I can't say enough about it. It's really, really great stuff, especially if you're a knife maker. The sizes are right for scales. Um, and it's beautiful stuff. You can get some Bofa, you can get Ripple Cut, Tuxini, Mahi Mahi, Radio Orm, Jakarta, Pheasant, Colorama, Hoopla, get an electric fuzz. And it's really easy to work with. It's, it, it's really, really sets your, it'll set your stuff apart. It's dynamite stuff. And if you go to Jakarta at bigcartel.com, uh, you can definitely check out what they got going on. I would highly suggest checking it out, uh, seeing what it's like. It's it's really cool stuff. So check out GL Hanson Sons, and you can go to g.l.hansonsons on Instagram and see what the fuss is about. I highly suggest it. I love it. And last but not least, I want to thank my friends at Tornex, celebrating 50 years in business with the special edition Black T8 sharpening system. It's a water-cooled sharpener. It's dynamite. I, I used to... I It was operator error for me, and that you could... You have jigs that you can set up. It's very user-friendly. If you're an axe maker, if you're a knife maker, if you're using swords, it's a water-cooled sharpening system, and it's just... It's just special, and I have gotten to the point where I, I'm doing 
consistently good razor edges on my knives. I'm not taking too much material off. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, overheating the blades. I'm consistent. It's making my life a lot easier and faster. And for resharpening, it's been great. And I'm a huge fan of Tormek. So go check out Tormek.com or check out at Tormek underscore sharpening on Instagram. My guest today is my friend, my friend, Ben Camone. We were supposed to have Ben Snoor on too. The problem was, as always, it's technical problems. Ben Camone is in Austria and Ben Snoor is in Texas and I'm here in New York and we almost had it. This is the second chance, the third chance we're going to make it happen. Ben, what is going on? What can I tell you? I'm fresh out of the vacation. So I'm I'm outstanding. <laughs> Where did you go? Uh, we've been in Croatia on the sea for the first time with our little boys. So they they wished for a vacation on the sea, and yeah, they've seen they've seen the salt water for the first time. I hear Croatia is beautiful. It really is. It's you know the sea is super clear. Then people are nice. Food is delicious. Uh, weather was fine. So. What 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 more to ask for, right? Yeah, yeah. And is it is it a, is it a, is it a lot of? I mean, I mean, I don't know the the distance between everything, but is it is uh, is it reasonably priced? I mean, I'm under the impression it might be a very reasonably priced vacation too. It's not so okay, cheap anymore. Bad. I guess it was cheaper okay. before the you know European Union and and stuff. But um, I'd say similar prices to Austria. But okay. it's it's close. I mean, it was a six hours drive, not nothing. Nothing. Oh, to you worry drove? About. Yeah, totally. Oh, that six hours is nothing for a nothing. vacation like that, right? I mean, Austria is so little. Uh, close to where we have been, Austria once had a seaport. So I mean, back with Hungary, uh, Austria was bigger. I'm not talking, you know, Nazi Germany and stuff. But right. before that, so there was. Um, a seaport, Istrien, I don't know if that's the English word, that doesn't matter, but there was a seaport close to us, so yeah, it's, it's, it's especially, I think, for most Americans, six hours is like nothing to drive. It, six hours for a vacation is doable. Yeah. Six hours is doable. I'm about to drive down to Pennsylvania to teach a class, it is five hours, and I can just handle it. Can just oh, five five hours. I'm driving without a without a break. <laughs> five hour. I, well, I have to have a break. I'm gonna have to have a break. I, I'm gonna have to get some gas, and I'm gonna have to take a leak. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't do five hours without a break. Just yeah, a fast one. Yeah, I mean, five hours with a with a comfortable car. I mean, there are shitty cars where I wouldn't want to drive five hours in, but I think I think with a with a nice car, it's it's okay. Your work is getting better and better every time I see it. It's <laughs> like, and, and, and it's not just me. I actually finally got to see something of yours in person. When I was in Spain, I got to see one of the combo platters that you did with uh, Florentine kitchen knives. What a <laughs> stunner. And I tell you what, he has this uh, Florentine kitchen knives. Tomer Botner has a case in his office. I don't think you, have you ever been over there? No, sadly not. He invited oh, me, gotta, but... You got to go over. I mean, you got to go over there. I mean, I don't know why you haven't figured out. You guys haven't like, he hasn't like broached you teaching a class for a weekend or two class. Yeah, he he asked, but I I, I told him, I I don't feel like for such big um, 
uh, like um, or, or driving further away and for longer times it's just not my time my kids are right. little and and right. I think later on when they are grown up they will be out anyways I won't see them anymore a lot <laughs> like when they get 14 15 16 you know and and I think then I always have the time to do things like that but right now um, time time is a big issue Really. How old are they? How old are your kids? Um, the little one is uh, uh, has gotten uh, gotten to be four, okay. right uh, in August, and and the bigger one is getting uh, or is seven, oh. seven years so old. So that is almost a little bit too young for like real foreign travel for them to understand. Mm. Like I remember when my parents used to take me places. I was when I was under thirteen. It was wasted on me. Like I didn't really. I mean, I didn't really get it all so i was going to say that like it was cool when i went and the first time and i was able to take my daughter and it was a, she was able to see another country and that was pretty that was a pretty cool benefit of of uh of for her and for me but i tell you what back to it that goddamn knife you guys collaborated on was a winner total winner and he told me how fast everything went and he was just thrilled with it so Congratulations! Thanks. Uh, he 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 did an outstanding job, I have to say, because I mean we were brainstorming back and forth about uh, blade design and handle design and all that, and he was super flexible. Um, you know, he's just a joy to work with. It's it's yeah. really it's really just that he 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 really tries to put everything into it, and he tries to. Be as easy to work with as possible, and if you do the same, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think you can work together quite well. <laughs> You're speaking of the choir. I mean, what's amazing about Tomer is he is very easygoing. There's a, a tremendous amount of pressure on him. I mean, the the what he has, the, what Florentine Kitchen Knives needs to come up with every month is jaw dropping and he does it with with elegance and grace and he has he has a great business mind but at the same time he does a lot of things that are you know he's got a great business mind but he does a lot of things that helps the community too and he thinks that it'll help everybody along like he's a far more um He's far visionary. more <laughs> visionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's altruistic, really, for for a community. It's very altruistic, even to the point where there are guys who just blatantly rip him off, and he's just like, "All right, what am I going to do?" But he's he helps people all the time, and no, it's just you got. I'm a hundred percent. Like every time I see him, and we work together, and he and I talk maybe probably once a week, once every other week. We text. We text very frequently. He's um he's a he's a real great guy. Really great guy. Totally. like a brother to me yeah so uh but uh i tell you i tell you so you're back from your vacation you're glad to be back <laughs> something, i'm sure i'm i'm sure glad to yeah <laughs> i something completely crazy to me happened to me uh within the last 30 minutes of this podcast tell to me. the point where i have to derail what i was originally going to talk to i have to tell you this story <laughs> This is crazy. It's sad, but at the same time, it's not that sad. I mean, it's kind of sad. So we've, my wife and I have been working with this accountant for 26 years. Like ever since my wife and I moved in together, we found this accountant in, our t in, in New York City. And he's been taking care of, he's been filing the taxes for my wife when she first started out. And then when we got married, he filed our taxes. He did our taxes for us every year for over, tw I mean, 
25 years. He did our taxes for us for 25 years. And every year we'd have a nice conversation. Maybe we would drop off. He lived in the city. We would drop all of our stuff off. We would have a nice conversation. He was an, a nice older guy. We didn't realize how old he was. Okay. But, uh, and every year he would do, he, we, everything would work. We cross our fingers. Everything came in on time. Everything was fine. And we were no bumping and bumping and problems. However, he did give me some weird advice once. I was, when I was making sculpture, I had a sculpture show down in Florida in uh, Key West. And he, I was telling about it because I was just like, oh, what should I do about sales tax and all this and the thing? And, and all I turned into was such a can of worms. And he told me when I go through any tolls, I need to buy the newest newspaper, take a picture of myself holding up the newspaper going through the tolls. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. He's like, yeah, but then you can deduct the tolls. I'm like, I'm not stopping every toll to take a picture of myself in the toll booth holding up the newspaper to prove that I went through the toll. That was just, that was just like... Yeah, but how much it, to deduct? I mean, is I it I mean, worth you're it? talking like, yeah, $1.50. I'm not going to go out of my... I'm not going to oh get... <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I mean, no. So, so that was the one red flag years ago. So all of a sudden... We go with him. He's been great. He's been so nice. And he knows he's known us for 25 years. And then this year, I don't know if something happened. I couldn't get my, I couldn't get one particular fader knives form in time. And I said to him, look, we got everything except for this one form. It, nothing's changed since last year. Nothing's changed since last year. So just use last year's stuff. I mean, nothing's changed. And he goes, I can't do that. And we can't do that. And we got to do it. I got, I can't, I have to be sure we can't take a chance. I'll wait. We'll, we'll file an extension. That means, so in the United States, you have to pay your taxes. You have to file your taxes by April 15th or after there's a couple of days after some wait, 25th at the pandemic fucked everything up, but you have a specific date. You have to file your taxes. Yeah. So he's like, don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to file an extension which means that you don't, that means that you file the extension and then you don't have to put your taxes in for a couple more months, whatever. So we got the information, you know, and then I, we forwarded it to him and said, okay, here's the last of it. I hope this works. And we didn't hear from him and that would be the case. We wouldn't hear from him. And uh, sometimes we hear, and then all of a sudden, you know, May, April, May, June, June rolls around. And my wife says, I haven't heard from our guy he thinks everything's okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure everything's okay. He's been doing this for a long time. Hmm. June, July, all of a sudden we start to, we said, let's send him a certified letter just to make sure everything's okay. He might be on vacation. He might, who knows where he is. So we didn't hear from him. And we just recently, after we dropped my kid off at college, we said, all right, after this, after the drop off, we're going to get a new, we're going to get a new accountant and just start over. And we don't know. So we did it. We have a, the filing, finish the filing blah, 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 blah. We're thinking, okay, well, you know, if he doesn't want to do it, or maybe he's too old, maybe he's sick, maybe he's hospitalized, who knows? Yeah. I got a call from his son 30 minutes ago. And he says, oh, this is, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm the son of, you know, tax preparer. And I was like, oh, no. I immediately, if the son's calling, yeah. you know, he's like, I don't know if you've heard, but my father has died. Died in June. June, end of June. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And he's like, and the house is a wreck. And he's got two storage spaces with all the files from all of his, uh, his customers from the 80s. You're talking 40, 
45 years worth of clients in oh, multiple fuck. storage containers. He left. He, he says he didn't tell. He, he was very secretive. He had a type of cancer. He didn't tell any of us. And obviously we had a, you know, our relationship was very difficult. When you say your relationship was very difficult, all of a sudden it's like very clear. It's like there was no relationship. Yeah. And yeah. now this poor fucking son is reaching. He doesn't, I mean, he walks in the door. There's paperwork everywhere. And it's like years of his customers. And he's got to like, you know, reach out to them all. He's like, where do you start? And I was talking to him like, don't worry. Just He's like, if you're looking for any of your paperwork, I'm never going to be able to find it. I'm really, really sorry. But, And it was crazy because it was like we kind of thought, my wife and I kind of thought this was going to be the case. But we thought every time you think someone had died, you just automatically be like, ah, you're being, you're being crazy. Yeah. So turns out our fucking guy died. And, you know, we, hopefully we don't get a fucking audit. It's <laughs> really what it comes down to. Real, the real Jeff is, a, is, is, is awake. I gave condolences, and then I thought, and I said to the son, I'm like, I'm so sorry about this. And hey, if you find our stuff, you know, just shred it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I mean, else do you do? <laughs> uh, but I, I commend the son that he even reached out because I, you know, if I was in his position, probably overwhelmed with the death and, right. and all the other bureaucracy stuff you you've got to deal with um i'm thinking the customers of my dad father are the last thing i i would care about <laughs> i got a feeling that the i have a feeling that there's not an overwhelming amount of sorrow <laughs> just talking to him and it's only been a month okay. i don't think that there was i don't even think i don't think it's really even been a month i don't think there was overwhelming sorrow i thought i think that he was this guy just like i gotta do the right thing and just let people know because obviously, you know, you know, he's got real, he's got customers going on, and he dropped dead, and you know, the oh no, the landlord found out, smelled something, someone said something, and he, yeah. knocked, you know, and he got in, and then he found the son, and the son's now has to deal with this torrential disaster of a business, which is like, Damn. you know, so. It's but crazy. your 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 things all are uh, dealt with. So. We have, my wife is so organized. So we had everything and we just rescanned everything and sent it to a new, our new guy. And it's like, okay. you know, it was just, but at the same time, it's like, we we're you know, we were under the, if he, had, here's the crazy part. If he had listened to me, <laughs> if it, now the real Jeff's coming out. If he could <laughs> listen to me, if he'd listened to me and just filed it, like I told him to, this all would have been over. You know, it would have been filed before he died. And, you know, we would have been, I mean, I'm sorry. I liked him very much. He's great. He scared me on the phone, though. He, he, and the funny thing was, he was, and it turns out he was way older than we realized. He was 88. We had no idea that he was 88. We thought he was in his, like, m you know, maybe early to mid-70s. Turns but, out he was 88. He was doing our taxes at 88. But why? And I, why? He liked it. He you loved know, it. Texas? And he did. <laughs> he loved it, and he, he loved helping his customer. He knew he's known his customer. He told he told us that he's known his customers for years, and he's known their. He watches them grow, and watches the family grow, and he he feels very close, felt very close to his customers. He hated talking to me on the phone, but anytime he talked to Hillary on the phone, he would light up. And and if she ever <laughs> visited to drop something off, he would just light up. He loved my wife, so. Huh. Shout out to my man. Sorry for your loss. Yeah. There you go. I mean, but at 88 you can't complain. I mean, 88 is a is a good age. 
88 is a great I mean that's extra innings as far as I'm concerned. I, I would mean, think so too. Yeah, you you're not I mean it ain't going to get much I mean do you think that you'd be at what point do you stop knife making? Um I I I thought about it. I mean you you know I'm looking up to Bob Tersol a lot and he's he's what he he's over 70 I think. I don't yeah. want to do him in justice but right. he seems to have fun and I think he treats it with a little less pressure, making what he wants to, and you know. So I, I, I'm thinking, if I'm still having fun at that age, I could imagine doing doing that. Um, but I could totally also imagine just um, getting into a hobby, a real hobby, right? That doesn't earn me any money, and just you know, being lazy and. Enjoying life, really, yeah. or the end of life. I, I could totally imagine that. And I'm just 35 thinking about shit like that. So it's, what, you what know, do it's, you think? It's a weird situation because my family is so... the My mother's side of the family and the father's side of the family are so diametrically opposed. Like, my father was such a doer. He had a, he was a winemaker, and he was an extraordinary painter. Like, he, when I, I don't... I'm not exaggerating. When he easily could have been a world-class painter if he wanted to he was i mean i'm not saying that he could have gotten better i'm saying he, the work he did was extraordinarily good it was all beautiful architectural landscapes and it was yeah. cities and down the streets and it was he was really good at like doing a uh, an image of a of, of looking down the street of like an old of an old um, city. I mean, he's just really, I mean, and he would use the palette knife and he was, he had a lot of, he, the style was very good. And actually when he died and uh, we were trying to talk about who he was and his wife, his wife had no real understanding of the real person that he was, even though she'd been with him for a long time. And we were talking about him and I started to almost do like an art critique of his work and as a, the body of work. And it was really cool because, like, I had such a strong understanding of who he was based on his all of his paintings, and I could understand his mind that way. And it was shocking to most of the people in the family because they, no one, no one had ever really talked to him like that. So he was an extraordinarily good painter, definitely a world class painter. He's a winemaker. He owned real estate. He was he he had a lot. He did a lot, and he was always very busy. To the no. point where the only thing that really stopped him was cancer. Like he had cancer and he was working with the cancer. And then he really stopped. He couldn't do as much by the time he was. He would do farmer's markets and he would sell the wine all over the place. And he was very involved. He loved driving the tractors. He was very involved day to day. He never enjoyed taking time off until he was like 84. 84 he was like he had to he, he was too tired like his no. the cancer really kind of put him in put him in put him down but i my mother's side of the family they like to sit by the tv you know and <laughs> i mean they did my mother my mother i mean i don't make i don't like to make too many jokes about my mother i love my mother very much and, and i care about her and i'm caring for her now but i mean no. like she was prepared for this situation her whole life i mean she just there weren't any there weren't any hobbies. There weren't any interests. And she just, you know, sitting around kind of watching TV and reading the paper was her thing. I can't do that. So for me, and my wife's the same way, um, it would be impossible for me to just want to retire from this. Like, I, unless there was something, other options. I would love, in my heart of hearts, 
I would love for this fader knives to take off. We're doing every year. We're doing substantially better. I'm enjoying the. I'm enjoying the business part of it. I'm enjoying the the the, the, the um, figuring out how to get to the next level. That's becoming interesting to me. But in my mind, I was. It would be awesome if a fighter fader knives could run itself and I could just make sculpture all the time. That would probably be my ultimate fantasy. Where... Oh, I mean, you're getting then into the management side of things because like I'm, you're I'm, not I'm, crafting I'm... anymore, but you're you're managing your employees and and the direction the company takes and all that. And yeah, I mean, it's a different job then. It's well, I I am the the thing is now is I'm I'm delegating certain jobs. It yeah. allows me to make it allows me to spend a little bit more time on design. So like design, like I, I just, we're doing, uh, we're waiting. Ugh, everything's been really gangbusters and we're getting, com starting to get commissions for Christmas, which is great. And these ultralight knives, which I made, which I've been, they just went really, really well. And we're going to make more of those, nice. but it allowed me to look at different finishes and, and figuring out finishes that help us on labor and then I can now focus on the designy stuff. So we're just doing this these short sets of pairing knives with a stonewash finish that allows me to, you know, keep the price lower because all of a sudden the labor goes down. And now you're having something that's kind of interesting and it's managing how we can kind of move it. And I like it. But at the same time, it allows me to spend a little bit more time on the design stuff, which I like too. Yeah, design is nice. I mean, I, I always... <laughs> I I I'm kind of fearful of, about the whole management of employees uh, part of things. That's that's why? why I personally wouldn't get into it. But I'm I'm I mean if you're you know if you if you like that that part of the of the company if you will so uh, as well then I think I think that's great. Well, it's it's weird. It was really weird in the beginning because I definitely liked being able to be in my shop and work at my own pace and not have to be looked at and not have to look after people. But it's also like, and this was a, this was a hard conversation I had with my business partner, which is like, are we trying to go forward or not? Like, just because I don't want employees, I have people that, you know, Tony wants this to go better. Allison wants to go better. She, Everybody wants to make more money. And if, it, if we can't sell more knives there's no more making more money so for me to just to say well i just don't want to have employees well then there's no way for there to be growth so why would anyone have any interest in sticking around you know because I, mean, I can't i could do i could do allison's job who does all the and i do now she's in allison's at burning man she's unbelievable i love, I love allison. allison's, <laughs> allison's the best allison is terrific she's fantastic she helps me all the time she's fantastic i'm lucky to have allison allison's great i could do her job but i don't want to do her job and it would take me a ton of time i don't think i could do tony's job because he it's like stuff that i just don't have the bandwidth for but it'll, it all allows me to, but they're all they all want it to go better they all want it to go better. And if we don't make more money and we don't figure out ways to make more money, then they're not going to stick around. 
I, I totally get that perspective. For your company, it's totally true. But I, I mean, I have a lot of people telling me um, I should like expand or get employees or whatever because every time someone asks me how it's going and I tell them of the backlog and the lead time and the demand of my knives, everyone says, why don't you get an employee? But I'm of the perspective, if I can work alone and, and, and save on the overhead and still make better numbers every year um i mean i'm very i'm very um not social <laughs> so right i think yeah i think i think for me the employee route wouldn't 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 work really well but i'm for example i'm considering to outsource um like a production knife run um right where quality control would be on my end for example just to make sure the quality is all right um and and up to my standards and design of course would be my my um uh uh occupation as well or that's also that that's also kind of the same as as having an employee too because you're just trying to figure out ways in which to cut down on your labor yeah that's that's totally true but with the with the exception that with an employee you and you talk about it a lot you have to keep him occupied and 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 you know all 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 that and and pay him um right. without sourcing the stuff i think you're more flexible and you don't have to deal with people a lot and i i mean i think you're good at what you're doing but i think i wouldn't be <laughs> so <laughs> i you know i it's, it's the whole thing is interesting. And a lot of it's also my father was a small business owner. He had employees, not a lot of employees, but he had employees. My sisters both had business, small business, small business. One sister had a bookstore. The other one was in uh, architectural design. They had a few employees, not a ton of employees, but it became something very interesting for me because I felt as though I saw my family with I saw them with employees and stuff like that, and I felt like that's just kind of the, the way it, it kind of needs to be. Um, I would hazard to say that it's it is a necessary evil because if I also my wife wants us to make more money, you know, every I want to make more money, and there's there's parts of it that also, and this is something we talk about on on Knife Talk a lot, where at what point are you a maker and then the other point you're actually in business to proceed you know and some people some people are able to do the make let's just say making and not not just uh knife making they're they're able to do it then maybe they get the patreon maybe they got the sponsors maybe they got the this that the other thing and they're happy making what they're making and that's just the way it is they don't have any kids they're they're, they're, everything's very on the low, you know, their needs are very low, but it's also nice to see if you can do it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, there are different routes to take. I think, I think yeah. your approach is legitimate and I think it can totally work. I think I like Florentine kitchen knives is a good example since we talked about him. Um, Tomer, uh, does exactly that. But I think there is another route too, like uh, Bob Terzola or Bob Kramer. They are right. going a different route, and uh, they are more or less staying alone. I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure for Bob Kramer because he had Marika at one point, but I don't, I don't know if he has an employee right now. But you're, you're getting uh, what, or you're, you're seeing what, where I'm getting at. Yeah, I of think, course. Yeah, I think you can by raising demand and 
possibly raising the price along with quality of your product. I think there is a future to be had uh, that route as well. But I mean, you, we will see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I mean, I also see everything as practice. Like I see everything, every, even these podcasts, somebody said, why do you get into podcasting? And I give them the whole spiel of what I like about radio and stuff like that. But I also was to learn how to speak better and learn how to listen better and learn how to, you know, speak in front of people. Like I, I spoke in front of 150 chefs at an event at uh, Blue Hill in Stone Barns, which is a really high level restaurant in the United States. <laughs> and a lot of it, I felt like I was able to not stutter and be a wacko is because I had prepared, I prepared to speak weekly on this. And for the, for the employees, this is now the first guy I've had who's worth a damn. And that's saying something because I've, I don't live in a metropolis where it's easy for people to find people. Like everything has to kind of work correctly for a guy like the guy I have now to be here. He's got to want to be a knife maker. He's got to want to learn how to do stuff. Yeah. He's also has to be not close by and he has got a car and he understands that is, you know, not, he's not gonna get a hundred thousand dollars a year. And there's a lot in it that makes it work now. If, I've had people who are just fucking rockheads, you know, rocket on <laughs> drugs. I've had people who are on drugs. I've had people who, you know, it's the, and he, here's the funny thing about employees is I remember when I was in metal shops, people were coming in hungover. People were come or not coming in or people were, everything was a problem. Or everything would get was drunk a problem. on work. <laughs> or there were, there was a guy there. I work with a guy, I work with a guy. I'll tell you a fucking crazy story. I work with a guy who was doing, we were on scissor lifts. We were scissor lifts. So we were at, on a, it was yeah. a union, non-union job. We were installing uh, things for windows. And I was on a scissor lift and he was on a scissor lift. And we had to lift these extrusions to uh, uh, concrete anchor into the ceilings. What okay. I didn't know was he was in the bathroom doing cocaine before <laughs> we started. <laughs> I didn't know this. I was told later. That's fucking scary. And then, and then there was a lot of other things. He was a good guy. I wish him well. I don't know him anymore. But like, the, you're dealing with people that you do not know what they're doing. You don't know them. You don't know anything about them. And the funny thing is, is like, and I'm not saying this about Tomer. Tomer, the t problems that Tomer has are the same problems that I have with guys. It's always the same. It's and that's why you hear a lot of people say, "Ah, I don't want to have employees anymore. There's nothing but problems." It's this strange give and take. I mean, once in a while you get someone who's worth a dim. This is the first guy who's been worth a dim. It's not perfect, but it's like the good outweighs the bad to the point where I'm glad he's here. Yeah. But at the same time, if there was like a massive problem, you know, that would be a different story. I've had to fire people, not from knife making, but I've had to fire people from other jobs and it was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Have you ever had to fire someone? No, I never was in the position, to be honest. Um, I mean, in my apprenticeship, you know, when you're in third year and then, uh, or, uh, when you're, um, through with the apprenticeship and you have yeah. a, a, a apprentices below you and stuff like that, but then you're not in the position to fire someone. So I had, right. I had to manage people, but I, I wasn't able to fire them. I, I would have done it if I was able to, I will I'll say that. I'll tell you the scariest firing story I ever had to do was the first time I ever had to fire someone and I fucking hated it. I was working for Charlie Palmer, this great famous chef. 
he had me and Tony down at this restaurant with this other chef. My business partner, Tony, now and I were running this restaurant. And he huh. came in, Tony, uh, Charlie came in for dinner, like probably the third week we started in. They rent, they took away, they got rid of everybody because they were stealing liquor. They were giving the bar away. They were, it was all these problems. They got rid of everybody. They brought me in. <laughs> they know that I'd never been there. Charlie has dinner with his family. And at the end of dinner, he takes me aside and he says, the waiter who served me, I want you to fire him tonight. And I said, what? He's like, yeah, this guy's got to go. This guy's got to go. I want you to fire him tonight. And he could see the look on my face of like, I've never done this before. I'm already just trying to keep this restaurant going. I just got here. I've never done this before. Now you want me to, he, and he just put his hand on me and he says, it's something you're going to learn how to do. It's something you're going to do. And you're going to call me tonight when it's done. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I went to the back. I saw the chef, uh, my friend Scotty. And I said to him, like, Scotty, I got, well, you got to help me. Because <laughs> we were kind of, at the time, it wasn't me being the general manager. It was the chef and the general manager we were working together for the Charlie. Yeah. And I remember going up to Scotty. And I was like, Scotty, you got to help me. He's like, what? He's like, I got, we got to fire this waiter tonight. He's like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, Charlie wants us to fire this waiter. You got to help me. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, all right, at the end of service. So Charlie told us at the end of service, you just let him go at the end of the night. <laughs> so I said, you're going to help me. And he's like, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. So through the rest of the service, this guy's like, you know, <laughs> you know, doing his fucking thing. He like, thinks he's like very charming and everything like that. Meanwhile, I'm walking past him being like, <sighs> your fucking days are numbered. Your hours are numbered. Your minutes are numbered. And I don't know what happened. He must have said something that Charlie didn't like. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't like a. It wasn't unreasonable. It wasn't just like this wasn't some sort of hazing ritual for me. This wasn't. But this was just like there had been problems in the past, I guess. And this is just this. But he really. He says, and you're going to call me. So Charlie said, and then when it's done, you're going to call me, and we're going to make just to make sure. And he was intimidating. He was also a big. Sounds like mob tactics. It was kind of. I mean, it was kind of. It was kind of. But at the same time, like I got it. So the end of the shift, I'm just like, I am just, I am just pacing the. I'm pacing the restaurant. I, I have a pained look on my face. I'm already pained because I like don't really want to be there. And I remember, I said, "All right, Scotty, are you clean? We're gonna bring him downstairs now. He's he's gonna get going. So we gotta get him before he starts to leave." And I said, uh, hey, listen, I need you to come down to the office for a second. And he said, oh, everything okay? I'm like, yeah, just come down to the office for a second. And then Scotty was down in the office, and we sat him down, and we we're like, look. And I, Scotty says to me, he said, well, how are we going to do this? And I'm like, I think we just got to fucking let him have it. And I, I think we just got to let him loose. And I, and I think we can't just say a lot of things. I think we just need to fucking just say it. I can't, and we need to be firm. And it's just, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. So he sat, sits down and says, like, hey, man, everything okay? Everything okay? I'm like, listen, I'm sorry to sell you this, but we got to let you go. What? What are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Charlie wanted us to let you go. <laughs> he told us to let you go. I don't, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm sorry. You're a good kid. We've been told you got to let you go. He's like, well, can I talk to him? And I'm like, no, no, that's not, this isn't like, and then all of a sudden he tried to negotiate. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. This is just the way it's going to be. 
And he was just like, is there a reason? And I didn't know. that They, they didn't give me a reason. Yeah, that's the worst. I, w I wanted to ask about that. That's. I didn't get a reason. He was arrogant, and I think he was a little bit too frenzy. I don't know if too friendly. I don't know. I think it was like, I remember this kid being kind of like, you know, very arrogant and maybe just not the right fit. I don't know what it was. But I, they didn't give me a reason. I, I was so shocked that Charlie said, you're going to fire him tonight, and then you're going to call me when it's over. I didn't have the wherewithal to say what is my reasoning he just walked fucking left <laughs> that was charlie's movie he's just like he told you what to do didn't give you a lot of what you called and he left so it's like i said is there a reason and i'm just like no there's no i don't know the reason they, they, they i've been told you you gotta go and i'm sorry i wasn't much nicer than that but i felt as though being too nice was a problem and it was just like a fucking wreck See, I, I would think if he presented you a reason and maybe you could even emphasize with that reason and, you know, um, understand it, no. then I, it would be way easier because then you can justify it. And, and even though the guy wouldn't understand probably, but you can still justify your decision for yourself. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> your decision in the first place, but you know what I'm saying. It's just for the your restaurant um, business. The restaurant business is for the lowest form of scum. <laughs> I mean, these are, I'm telling you, in the United States at least, these people are fucking scum. And I ended up calling Charlie. Charlie says, how'd it go? And he said, I said, we said, well, we let him loose. We didn't really, I forgot to ask you why. Yeah, don't worry about it. He's a good boy. You did a good job, guys. You did a good job. And he was just like, you know, it was like, it was like a mobster saying, all right, you got to kill this guy tonight. <laughs> you know, it was literally like that. But I'll tell you the funniest almost firing is... I was at this bakery and there was this young kid who was very talking, very nice, very nice young kid and a little bit too talky. But at the same time, it was like, you know, was I wasn't going to really make a big thing about it. Okay. And she had the hiccups. And I, uh, I said, well, I hear that if you scare someone, you, you, the hiccups will go away. And she goes, well, you can't scare me. There's nothing you can do to scare me. And I was just like challenge accepted <laughs> so i waited about 20 minutes and she still had the hiccups and then i called her into the office and i said you know you're a really great kid but i'm gonna have to ask you to clear out your lockers yeah you're fired <laughs> and then two seconds later i said are your hiccups gone <laughs> <laughs> and she said she was like i was like i was just kidding. i felt terrible about it but it was just like ah, i had to do it i got rid of the hiccups and she laughed and everybody laughed but at the same time it was like it was probably the cruelest thing I've ever done. Now imagine you had to fire her the next week yeah, for real. <laughs> I was too young to, I was too young. The thing is that this bakery was mostly like high school kids and college kids. So they were constantly going, you know, there, there were summer oh, jobs okay. and stuff like that. I don't think, I think I could have like, I think I could have held off for a while, but like there would have definitely, I mean, that was definitely, that would have been an HR call. That would have yeah. been like a call to human resources say, you know, Fader needs to be written up for <laughs> threatening to fire someone just to get rid of the hiccups. <laughs> but now that uh, I think about it, I mean, I have similar, and, and you, you as well, I have similar decisions to make with customers these days. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, they are no, not employees, but I'm kind of firing them um, depending on, on, on how they behave. I recently had a story. You can't, you can't, you can't imagine how stupid people are on, and what kind of assholes people can be. <laughs> the guy, I, I reached out after the lead time. I wrote him, um, I had to raise prices due to Ukraine war and inflation and all that. And I'm always giving my, my um, customers the rundown of my right. numbers. 
why I have to raise the prices and that they came back out of the order without any bad feelings on my end and without any costs on them. And I apologize for the inconvenience of all that. So I'm giving him that. And he essentially answered that um, uh, he's very disappointed that he had to wait four years <laughs> for a knife. And then it wasn't uh, like 300 euros he thought it was, but uh, I don't know, close to 800 and and so f he lied about the lead time. I never had anyone waiting for years, and he he wasn't waiting for years either. I I proved it to him, and my knives were never that cheap. My custom work, you know. Right. So he complained about, about the pricing, and then I already didn't want to sell to him, and you know want, wanted to talk it um, talk it out of him. I, I said, okay, then we'll let that be. I'm very sorry for all that, and and yeah. Be on your way, <laughs> kind of. Oh. Uh, and, and he insisted that he wants to get the knife. Now I'm thinking, okay, maybe he turned around, maybe he understands now. He'll get the knife. I made it, delivered it, forgot about it. A few weeks later, the knife, barely used, but still used. You know, he, he wrote, yeah. he cut an onion on the forums. The knife popped up for sale. And... I was raising the price effectively by 100 euros. He sold the used knife for 400 euros more than he paid. Almost double than <sighs> what I asked for. This happens all the time. Dude, but I, I don't even mind someone making a buck on my knives in resale because I'm of the opinion I could raise my prices myself. And if I, um, you know, I'm... I'm I'm consciously not doing that to stay um, uh, uh, competitive, but I could do that. It's it's um, but you can't complain about my pricing and then sell for so much more. I think that's that's the problem. I don't mind someone selling my knives for more than they sold them, uh, bought them for. That I don't mind. But telling me I can't ask much more and then selling it for right. way more. Yeah, that's that. People like that have 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 had that done to them. I, the, I think that I think that when you when you when people accuse other people of lying all the time, it's because they lie. Like I think yep. that there's a lot of like, there's a lot of human you know trauma that makes people in the position where they think that they can just act like this and then. But now with the internet, it's hard to be anonymous to a certain degree. Like you could warn you know, groups that there's this guy who's doing these things and, you know, there's, there's, it's a little bit more, it's not like as anonymous as it used to be. I had a guy recently, uh, one of the knives I made with my friend, uh, Carl Ruiz, the, uh, the Cuban knife. Yeah. He said, I want to sell it. Uh, do you, you know, I wanted to sell it. I just want to let you know. And I was just like, go ahead, you know, God bless you. And then he posted it somewhere for like four times, the value of it four or five times like and i was just like well i'm not helping him that's for sure like this is like no you can't get is, involved i can't get involved no. i can't get involved and like i would be embarrassed to try to post that price it was like it was like um it wasn't even i don't think at the time i think that everyone paid like four or five hundred bucks for it and yeah. he was trying to sell it for twenty five hundred dollars <laughs> and I was just like, I can't get involved with this. And then when I looked at what he'd written, everything was wrong. It was, everything was like exaggerated or just the wording was clumsy. And I had to reach out and just say, you've got to fix these 
these exa- these description because the description's misleading. Yeah. And then every so often, I, I and I thought to myself, no one's going to pay for that. No one's going to pay twenty five hundred bucks for that knife. There's just no way. There's just no way. And then I could see, you know, and then somebody was saying, oh, the price went down. The price went down. It kept going down. And the funny part was I got depressed every time the price went down because it's just like, there's no way they can go for $2,500, but it would be nice. It would make me feel better about myself if it did. I mean, to be honest, that's partly why I don't main, uh, uh, mind the resale being higher because, uh, I mean, on, on, on some in some ways, uh, customers who resale my knives for m- a higher price, they establish a higher price point for me as well, or at least a possibility. And they uh, kind of show me what the market can bear, right? So I'm not mad about that. I I, I mean, in your particular case with all the lying and deception, that's 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 a little funky again. Right. Um, yeah, but the higher price itself, I mean, yeah, that's weird, but... I, I personally don't don't mind that as much, but I I, I mind, you know, I mind this dishonesty. I, I oh yeah, disingenuously, disingenuously, or being what? disingenuous. I, yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it's interesting because you bring up that point, and I think we talk about it on knife talk a lot about like um, auctions and. And there's this concept, and I know that Mareko's, Mareko Mamasi is in a different category than a lot of people. I mean, he truly is a very gifted bladesmith. And whatever he demands, whatever he gets, he demand, whatever he, his knives demand are worth it. He's, he doesn't make a lot of knives, and they are really something special. Yep. And I would, never, I would never, ever give him anything other than the full credit that he deserves. Yep. He he's he sometimes he talks about how auctions will set the value of your knife. And you just even said that like it kind of gives you an idea of, of of what the market will bear. Part of me worries that the custom the customer that the market will bear is a very small amount of people who would pay that kind of money. Because like I'm noticing now with my knives, I try to keep them, you know, I, it's a fight for me because I would rather my prices go down. Just, but at the same time, it's like I have more employees and we have more bills to pay and everybody wants to make more money. So it's just hard for that to happen. But like it's, I feel as I can feel that there is, and I've talked to Jared Thatcher. I've talked to a lot of guys who have really great business mind about knife making. And they talk, Jared mentioned to me that there is a threshold that your customers won't go past. Yeah. And part of me wonders if where my threshold is about my work and am I overcharging and will the, will it mean that the market will bear what the market bears? And I'm, I'm always questioning it. Frankly, I mean, I, I, I think every knife maker really is, but that's exactly right. what I what I uh, wanted to say about staying competitive. I'm I'm pretty sure I could double my prices and the market would bear it for now. But as you say, how many customers are there really who would pay those prices? I mean, right. for now it works. Right. How long does it work? Because when is the market uh, saturated? And yeah. uh, I think staying competitive and 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 not raising the prices like uh, to the extent you believe the market would bear it, just because of one auction, I think that's that's reasonable. I think I, it's not a good idea to to uh, max it out because it bears a lot of risk if you do that. A hundred percent. But yeah. then there's this guy who's going to show up and he's going to take it. 
You know, like I have stuff. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff, and I'm not. I'm I'm the first person to say this. I have a lot of stuff in inventory. I'm not like Josh Smith, a Montana Knife Company, where we have nothing. I'm not like uh, uh, Neil Camora, where I post something and it's gone in two seconds. I don't mean. I mean, my mar, my knives don't go. When I sell it, put a newsletter out, everything doesn't go. And I don't have a problem with it. I mean, we do okay. Everything's good, and we have good times. We have bad times. This summer was not great for a lot, for a lot of people, a lot of different areas. Um, but it, it makes me, it always makes me wonder. And then I will talk to my business partner, Tony. And I'm like, what do you think about the prices? And he's like, we're not touching the prices. And then somebody will come in and then in the middle of the night, they'll buy a couple of knives and be like, okay, maybe I was wrong. Yeah, you can. It's the right place at the right time. And <laughs> it's weird. It, it, the whole being in business is so bizarre. Yeah. Um, but like for, but for you, I mean, it, I mean, your work globally is so lauded like it's so it's so like round i don't think i've heard anything other than like the praises of ben come on i haven't luck <laughs> luck yeah my ass luck uh -huh. and i and it, this is something that you and i were talking about before we started it was this idea and i think that you and i have a lot of similarities because both of us were in fabrication metal fabrication before we were knife makers and it seems as though you and i have a different way of making knives than someone who never worked with metal before and learned a YouTube video and then grabbed a steel from grab steel from somewhere and then learn how to heat treat and their only steel they've ever touched has been knife steel and then they learn based on the confines of what they've seen on YouTube or maybe a class that they've taken. You and I have had experience with fabricating railings and architectural stuff and things that we maybe we haven't done before and figuring out things you did an awesome video with uk knife was it uk what well, uk, UK blade show. uk blade show the video yep. that you did with them number one was incredibly generous on your part but it also reinforced what i'm saying as you have taken the fabrication end of your blacksmithing and applied it to your knife making and you're able to kind of like uh, build beautiful things that no one else is making because you're not on the blinders of the, you understand the maximum you can do with steel. Am I being too generous? You don't like that. You don't like it when I'm being so nice, right? No, no, no. I I enjoy it, but I won't admit it. <laughs> I, okay, good, good. Don't, you don't have to admit it. I'm saying it for you, but, but that's the case. I mean, you and I both have problem solving skills that yeah. came from working in metal shops i think the approach is a different one i mean i see all the times i see people you know uh, turning every dollar or euro around um thinking about investing in some steel and and then ending up buying small amounts and all that stuff i mean as you often say with your stock and 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 about that that stuff doesn't go bad you right. you can't you can't um you're what you're paying more buying in little amounts instead of bulk uh amounts i mean it's in percentages it's probably in the 50 to 100 percent range what you're paying more like you're paying double by buying small amounts it, it, it's that it's the solution finding i mean i think yeah some 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 people don't don't um get the don't don't really have the business mind about it. I th I think. That's, but that's I'm just really talking. I'm talking strictly about the fabrication end. Yeah, but because I'm like, seeing that I look as business at... as well. The efficiency okay. of working in a shop 
at the end of the day has a has the reason for that is is efficiency in a business sense you have to get a job done so it's it's viable for the you know amount of money you can charge for it right yeah or yeah i no, mean you're I mean, not trying to be efficient for the efficiency's sake you're trying to be efficient I, so it pays for the off. business sake but yeah. i'm talking about the design decisions that you've made in terms of like the finishes of your knives the design decisions of your handles, the design decisions, which I think that your work is far more unique than others. And I think it's because you're, you don't, you cast aside the blinders of this is the way you're supposed to do it. Oh yeah. Like I, I feel mean, like you're the fabrication, you the fabrication and that you've spent time as a machinist and as a welder and as a blacksmith has allowed you to say, I bet we could do it this way and it would be really cool. And it, I think it's, that's one of the reasons why your work is so successful. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I, I think I, I said it before, but, but nothing made me more nervous in my in the companies I was employed at when 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 I asked for an explanation for a process, for example, or an approach to a problem, and they couldn't explain it other than saying it was always done that way. Right. But that was a huge red flag for me. If I heard that, I'm thinking, okay, but what about this solution? And I, I will admit, sometimes I was wrong. Then I recognized by um, go, doing my approach, okay, that's the that's a mistake that went wrong, yada yada yada. And then you find out, okay, the the old ways really worked. But oftentimes you will find out uh, that a different process or a different approach is way better suited, no matter if it's more efficient or better quality or both. But um, yeah, I, I don't like I don't like doing things just because they've always been done that way. I, I I'd like to you know find out new solutions to problems. Or yeah, this, this is a hundred percent the reason why uh, I hate when people ask me how long you've been knife making. And part of me is just like, well, it's more than that. There's all this history as being a, a sculptor, a working sculptor, being yeah. a, a fabricator, being a metal worker in general. You know, when I pick up a right angle grinder, I I curse at it the same way I cursed at it 15 years ago when I <laughs> never made a knife before. You know, when I when I go up to a bandsaw, I'm hoping it doesn't fucking I don't cut myself the same way I did 20 years ago. When I go up to the power hammer, the tire hammer, I say a little prayer that I used to say back in the Center for Mental Arts of don't fucking put your hand in there. <laughs> so like I feel as though the mindset has been the same throughout from the beginning, you know? And part of me is just like, yeah, you start to count these things. And just because there's not a whole lot of difference between making sculpture, making railings, making food. I, I said this years ago, like... I had a well. Actually, when I, I applied for a job at uh, Oriole at Charlie Palmer's restaurant, he said, "Well, I can't get you the job. You're going to have to meet with the chef." And then the chef is really tough, and he was a really awesome chef, really, really high level. And okay. the guy said to me, "He's like, I know you do fab, you do steel fabrication for the restaurants and for Charlie. And what makes you think you can cook?" And I said, "Well, I went to culinary school number one." please give me a little bit of credit. But I didn't really say that, obviously. I said, well, I don't see any difference between making food and making sculpture. You're taking ingredients and proper technique and you're giving it to someone. So he was just like, all right, you got me. That was a fucking good one. You come in tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a paid job. It was just a fucking, I had to go through the fucking ringer just to get a fucking, you know, internship for Christ's sakes. But yeah. like, to me, that was an honest approach to it's all the same. You know, obviously, yes, it takes a lot longer to learn, but you still have this, you know, your hands 
if you've been working with your hands when you were younger doing smaller things, it all tra- the things that you've learned usually will translate up until what you're doing now. In many ways, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. But I mean, most of the guys who at least this in the knife talk, they've never, this, the only steel they've ever picked up was, was um, a piece of knife steel. Like they've never, there's never been like, like I know that a lot of guys, you know, you, you talk to them about MIG welders or you talk to them about, you know, some sort of fabrication and, and it's like, it's almost out of the realm of what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's heavy machinery and all that or. Cause I mean, it must've been very, I would imagine for you, it must've been very, an easy transition to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I made an apprenticeship for um, like the truck mechanics, so metal was right. always part of it. Rectangle grinders, um, uh, teak welders, and 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 big machinery. No matter if we had to move those uh, trailer trucks or whatever. So yeah, I mean, if anything, it got easier. Right, and then as you probably know, because I know you used to forge railings, you were an apprentice for uh, a blacksmith. How much better is it that we don't have to lift up I-beams and anything over 25 pounds? How great is that? Uh, my shoulders and my back, uh, thank me for it. <laughs> oh. I will say, say that. <laughs> I mean, I remember when I had a job, one of my first sculptors I ever worked for was a sculptor. And he was, I mean, now I'm about, I'm 49. He must have been, when I, I was, when I was working for him, I was 22 and he was 53. And we were humping uh, to make sculpture bases. We were lifting hundreds of pounds of steel. We were yeah. making I-beams, all this stuff. And I just remember hearing him groan and grunt. And and I also remember him, like, struggling to, you know, get his bag so he could walk to the subway. And he would just complain about the subway. But at the same time, like, he fucked his back up. And I could think to myself, like, when I'm 53, I can't. I can't be like this. Like I can't, I literally was just like, I cannot something either. I have to either have, I have to either be in decent shape or I have to figure out a way that I'm not going to be like toiling in my fifties. Yeah. And now I don't lift anything over 25 fucking pounds. And it's like my, my goddamn, I can't help. But th- I mean, I had to do a, ra- a couple railings recently and we had to flip them over to weld the other sides. Yeah. Oh my God. Just the twisting to lift, flip a railing over was like, then that night I was miserable. Yeah. Well, although I will say the, the, the job as a truck mechanic was way harder on my body. I mean, I was younger, but um, we were very conscious in the, in the blacksmith shop uh, of size and weight because we were only two people, really. So if right. we um, fabricated anything, a railing or um, like whatever, too big, and we weren't uh, able to uh, like lift it and get it onto the car or not even, you know, getting it to the customer, then we would have a real problem. So we would always uh, section things into, yeah, parts that are big enough so we didn't have to compromise too much on design because that's always the connection. You will always somewhat see it. You can hide it no matter how much you want, but uh, a little bit, a screw or whatever, you will always see something or a weld. I mean, if it's sink bladed and you weld afterwards, I'm not a fan of that. We 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 always try to um, have screw connections between the uh, different sections of a railing, right. let's say, um, because then you don't um, like open up the sink uh, plating of the 
Right. Yeah. Um, but we were very conscious on uh, uh, of of weight and 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 size of things. I mean, we had a small car. We were only two people, and we didn't necessarily want to ruin ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, installing yeah, but all you, those. But what? But you, I can just I know I can tell. I remember we were doing these railings and sections because the same thing. It was, at the time, it was only a few of us. Yeah, and it was like lifting it up and flipping it over and then putting it on the racks to paint it and then flipping it over again and it was just like the twisting and then the the one hand's down one hand's high and then you lift get it off the hook and flip it over and you're just like you're twisting all the time and it was like it was even if it was not you know heavy it was just such abuse you know slow slow abuse and i'd be i get in the car and i'd be so goddamn stiff and i was in my 30s and i was just like how long can I fucking do this for? Like, how long can I do this for? It's definitely not a job you want to go into rent from. <laughs> no, but I mean, knife man. I mean, I just recently made a couple of railings, and I tell, I tell, I the only railings I'll make now are for special situations, like our neighbor who's not doing well needed one for an inspection, and she, I've known her forever, and she's not not doing so hot. So it was that was an easy yes, and then a friend of mine uh asked me to and that was an easy yes but like i won't like you can't i mean you got to pay me a lot of money to make a railing because yeah. number one it's like my shop isn't set up for it but the other thing is just like i don't want to do it you know i just don't want to do it so but the other thing is it's the physicality of it it's just too much the now i mean i'm not lifting i mean obviously when you're forging it's a little bit more um a lot more physical but the grinding and the hand sanding and the labor and all that stuff we're <sighs> not that we're not it's hardly anything all those fumes and the dust i hate the rectangle grinder i mean i oh. i like to work with it the working i don't mind but all that fucking funky dust it, it that scratches up your skin and goes into your you know i'm i'm most of the time i'm putting on a mask but if yeah. you're cutting real quick a uh, small piece you know oh. i'm 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 sometimes too lazy even now yeah or if it's super hot, then I'm I'm also not taking uh, the mask or putting the mask into my face because I'm sweating like a horse stick. I then, don't know. And, and then you take the and then you take the guard off, and then all of a sudden the sparks are going on your fucking arm and all up your sweaty arm, and it's oh, like I'm I'm you know I'm not what I'm talking, a fan talking of taking about the guard off. <laughs> right, well, you're better than me. I, every 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 shop we always had, we always took the guard off, and a lot of it was because. The guards were good when we were using right angle grinders. The last fabrication shop I was at, we did a lot of um, newer construction. Like we did a lot of uh, door bucks and we did a lot of uh, new construction stuff. So there was a lot of slotting things. Like we would get channel yeah. and we would get uh, a lot of cladding, uh, stainless steel cladding. So there were a lot of like having to f make fitments and fitting things and we'd have to use the grinder so when you had the guard on the grinder was really good because you could hold it tight you could be tighter up to the to the to the actual blade because you had the guard on and then it would shoot the sparks down almost like a t like a uh like a circular saw yeah you know, that was good but like i just remember we just never kept the grinding things on but at the same time it's like I had such a big argument with my dad once because he always immediately took the guard off and yeah. I told him I mean <laughs> he 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 was an ele electrician by trade huh. so he wasn't even a fabricator or metal worker so I told him dude 
I'm working with this machine all day and I don't have to take it off. Why are you taking it off? It's it's ridiculous. I never I, I never had a problem with the guard and I even um told him I'm using it as a um like a pressure point, you know? I'm yeah. sometimes uh, getting the finger onto it and and pre- I I don't know if that's <laughs> if you should do that, but I did it or I, I'm doing it. I think the reason why I took the guard off is because if you have a wire cup on it, there's an opportunity for you to catch and you can get locked in between the guard and the wire brush. I could yeah. be wrong. Okay. I'm trying to think about why I'm, th- I'm thinking about why I took them off and then Although, I don't have a good I don't have a good answer. With the wire brush it's not as dangerous because usually you're um you're you're holding the grinder different than you would hold it with a cutting disc. Yes. Yeah, so yes. It, I think with the wire brush it's not as as dangerous and and it stands out anyways so i think it's thicker than the guard anyways right right yeah so i i think i don't i don't mind that too much but my my father was was cutting without even the big rectangular grinders even uh, those without a guard without a guard and i mean it only takes one 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 time once uh, grabbing the thing wrong and you're in there with your fingers and yeah that's i i've been i have two i have two stories that i know of one of them I was there for, for it was really bad. But, you know, the funny thing is, is like, you would never use, you would never use a circular saw without a guard, right? Like, if you had a circular saw and you say, I'm fucking taking the guard off, I just want that blade spinning. Yeah. You'd, th- you'd think someone was fucking out of their minds. <laughs> like, that would be like, that would be the most deranged thing. It would be like having a, a, a circular saw blade on the, on the, on just a motor. You know, just free spinning like on a buffing wheel. Mm-hmm. You would say that person's fucking crazy. Pretty much, that person's crazy. So what's it, why? Why isn't? Why don't we feeling the same way? Why am I not feeling the same way about it? Because a, a everyone grinder? does it with the rectangular grinder. You, it's 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 like it's very uh, really common. But I don't know either. I mean, I'm I'm feeling like <laughs> uh, if you take the guard off your rectangular grinder, you're a crazy person. But I'm, I'm no offense. I think <laughs> no, I'm not taken. I I gotta re reevaluate my situation. I will say I've always I've always cursed right angle grinders because they are the most convenient, they are the most effective, and they are the cheapest piece of equipment you will buy in your shop. Yeah. For the be- in terms of bang for your buck. Yeah. There is not a better piece of equi- uh, 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 um, power equipment. They are super. Not a better piece of important. power equipment than a right-angle grinder. I mean, the alternative is a file. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And actually, recently I've been using. Oh, speaking of right-angle grinder, right-angle grinder community. Let's give you a fucking pat on the back. <laughs> the the one thing I don't know. Have you ever used the wire wheels where it's not a cup but it's a flat wheel? Like it's it's it come it goes on your grinder like a disc. Only on the bench grinder, but not on the rectangular grinder. You can have them. They have braided ones for a right angle grinder. That is madness. <laughs> that fucking thing is madness. And I used to get them all the time, and it's fucking madness. I have a couple of right angle grinder stories. One of them was the worst right angle grinder story I ever saw. My my roommate in college and my studio mate Miles, whose birthday is today he's turning 50 uh he's already at this by this time this is all over he's already turned 50. miles van Rensselaer, unbelievable i mean my great roommate he was an english major but he was also a uh sculpture sculptor glass blowing and bronze casting nice. and 
He's awesome. He's you'd love. He's wild, totally wild. <laughs> so he actually ended up. He spent a year abroad in uh, Papua New Guinea and Indonesia, and okay. when he came back, he was all. I mean, he was like Mister Papua New Guinea, Indonesia. Like he, he was to the point where he had had he had he had uh, malaria. He had emphatigo. Oh. He had a, he had, he was at everything. Comes back to school, sick as he, the the we my wife who was uh, on the verge of becoming getting into medical could, t could tell that there was something really wrong with him. She identified that he needed to go to the hospital. Turns out he was the first person in our school in the in the co county who had gotten malaria <laughs> since World War Two. So like and then so Hillary was just like the hero. My wife was a total hero. He comes back and he's got to catch up for all this work and he's grinding on this giant hickory stump. And they have these these attachments for Wrangle Grinder. It's a chainsaw blade. I don't know if you've ever yeah, seen that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That should the person who d designed those should be arrested. Okay. <laughs> they're they're fucking. I mean, you're talking bananas. There's no reason why any should, one should have. It's for carving. So he's he used to call me Fades. Okay, Fades. I'm gonna just you know work on the. We we're in the shop. I was in the metal area. He was in the woodworking area. And I hear, and then. And I go, he goes, fades, fades. <laughs> and I turn over, the blade hit a knot. It went down to his pants. Thank God he wore a zipper. It caught on the zipper of his pants and locked in. But on the way down, and it was Whoa. hanging from his zipper, like whirling, trying to move. Like it had caught, like, you know, how if you got like a wire, wire, wire brush, a wire brush wheel and he catches your shirt it kind of like winds up we call that the alligator like if you ever catch your sweater or your your shirt on the wire cup on a wrangle grinder and it rides up and it goes for your neck we call that the alligator well he did the alligator with a chainsaw chainsaw bit and it stopped on the fucking crotch of his pants and he used to net used to wear only wear sweatpants this is like a, Thank a, a God fucking he had miracle a small penis <laughs> thank god thank god he was wearing a zipper because normally he would never and on the way down it had cut the tendons in his hand so he's standing there blood is goozing out of his hand i run over untie uh, you know to unplug the fucking thing we take him to the hospital we got him squared away that was the scariest thing he got so lucky they put the tendons back together they you know luckily his you know his dick was still there but it was like the scariest fucking thing i ever saw and the all the other thing that happened that was fucking bizarre was a couple of years ago it was using a wire wheel and when you first get the wire wheels please get the braided ones don't fuck with those those you know those uh, porcupines the okay. sh you know the explosive the exploding ones don't fuck with those are not meant to be used for writing <laughs> One of the fresh uh, wires, you know, when you first start in, the fresh ones, they'll shoot. Yeah, yeah they'll you know, shoot. Even well. the braided ones, they'll shoot. Yeah. One shot of uh, a wire across the top of my palm, and it went through into a vein. Ah. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you'll see them, the wires will stick to your sweater or something like that. Yeah. It went sideways and just went over the top of my thing and it went into my vein. I pulled out. I pulled it out, and my hand, it had, it had punctured the vein on the top of my hand, and it, my hand started inflating with blood. Yeah, that sucks. I was like, a, like the size of a, like the size of a golf ball. Like it was, I was bleeding under my skin. Huge pressure, like, right? He, I was shocked. Yeah. And then I immediately 
put my, my other hand on top of it. I pushed it down. I held it down. And then I, and then I called my wife and my wife says, is it splurting? Is it spurting out of your hand at the same rate as your heart? And I said, no, it's just filling up in my hand. And she says, I think you'll be okay. And then after 10 minutes, it stopped. But like, that was terrifying. It was like inflating the skin on my hand, like the size of a golf ball. Yeah. Like I, it was terrifying. And I I had I have had that happen to me. And I think that's why I mentioned pressure, because it's so irritating how hard and, and you know, you really feel it like pressuring up and it's, ah, it's, the feeling sucks. <laughs> oh, but you could see it. I mean, you could yeah. see it like filling up and it wasn't a small amount. It was a ton of blood. Yeah, and you it, can it, touch luckily it. it just stopped. It just stopped. I mean, I pushed it down and I, I don't know where the fuck the blood went. The blood went somewhere. You know, it, it wasn't like a black mark either. It was just like the, I guess the vein sealed itself back up and that was it. But it was terrifying because it was like, the, the skin on the top of your hand is so fucking light yeah. and to those those veins on the top of your hand are so they're so vulnerable to attack yeah. I was not prepared that was not prepared for that attack but not now I know what I don't do with my rectangle grinder because I have a small one and this is not a plug but it's from Bosch and I got the one which is which ha which has the strongest motor. So wow. I'm sure that that thing won't stop if it entangles in my shirt. It has I, like 850 watts or something like that. It's it's it's. I've had big rectangle grinders who uh, which was weren't as strong as this small one. <laughs> when when I was when I first started, the first sculptor I worked for was this guy, and we would he would have he would have us using eight inch grinders, like the big right angle grinders. yeah the, yeah the big ones yeah but we weren't using those nine inch blades those nine inch cutoff wheels or or grinding wheels they weren't cutoff wheels or grinding wheels he would have these it was like a rock it was like a it was like the you know what i'm talking about it was almost uh, like yeah. a, those cups it almost looked the yeah yeah cup. we were using those because it was a little bit more easy to wield yeah but it was still it was this insane insane motor that we were just running around with these fucking giant carbide cups and or not carbide um you know like whatever that material is that yeah, is, the, is the grinding rock like stone. rocks oh, yeah, yeah that's stone it was it was totally insane but i tell you what you the right angle grinders truly is a curse a blessing and a curse like it really of all the tools of all time the smell is terrible yeah the way it cuts steel and then it ends up that you end up with that hot razor blade underneath that you have to get rid of as soon as possible the smell or some steels don't like it some people do if you're holding in a certain way the rock just the the, the cutoff wheel just grinds down to nothing it's 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 a curse it's a fucking curse and you know what the worst is did you ever grind aluminum? Oh, yeah. And it gets gummed up. Oh, and and not only that, I mean I, I theorized the like aluminum doesn't doesn't really melt, I think, during grinding. It it stays cold and it doesn't spark. And those right. shards are the sharpest and like stickiest and and they they are super abrasive and they want to go into your eye. Uh, like directly, they they love your eyes. <laughs> we we did uh, the the like the last fabrication shop I was at. We had um, we did a ton of aluminum stuff, and I could not of all the TIG welding TIG welding stainless steel. I'm your fucking guy. TIG welding regular steel. I'm your fucking guy. 
I could not figure out the aluminum. Even bronze, I could just barely get. Aluminum, TIG welding aluminum was such a fucking production for me. I just uh. couldn't. I just couldn't ride that bike. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you when you learn how to weld, it is like riding a bike. And once you get it, you got it. But the aluminum, I just had nothing but problems with. Um, yeah, but too. we would have to cut so much aluminum on a table saw. And what we would do is we would have these sticks of grease or wax. He called them grease. Yeah. And we would constantly put the grease on the wheel, on the on the on the on the blade on the regular table saw blade for you would use for wood and we would run the aluminum through and just use tons of that grease and we'd have covered our our faces were covered and we were wearing jackets and we were just ripping aluminum on table saws and constantly putting the grease on the wheel and it was just like terror it really was terror <laughs> yeah. and then i remember i was talking about you're trying to grind something with like a, a a right angle grinder disc and it's just all you can see is all of a sudden your disc is just color of aluminum like everything's it's it's just all it's all it just takes up all the space up yeah uh, but we've got special ones they were made for aluminum if you would use them on steel they would wear off extremely fast but they won't uh, wouldn't clog, clog up so they, right. they they were made for aluminum that worked but it was super abrasive and, and and you had to watch out grinding the stuff because if you put the pressure on aluminum that you put before like minutes before on steel uh, you would just grind through things and 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 uh, grind them off too fast you don't miss fabrication at all do you um partly i mean it I think we talked about this, the planning of it, the organization of it and all that I kind of miss. And I think, I mean, it, seeing the customers, I barely get to see my customers. The only thing I get uh, regarding feedback is when, you know, you get a, an email or a story on Instagram or something like that that makes me happy as well. But back then when we um, made a nice railing or um, like... Um, uh, I, I missed the term. What you guard like your gate? house, huh? A gate or a, yeah, oh, a like gate. a yeah, like a, yeah, a, yeah, gate. a gate? Exactly. Um, like you, you saw the customer and you had to install it. That was nice. That was you, you, you. I mean, we would uh, go all around Vienna. You know, nice districts where big, right. big, big houses stood and and all that. Uh, yeah. Um, Did you like installing? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we planned it out. Uh, it made me nervous. You talked about it a lot. It made me nervous the night before, and, and I thought a lot about it. But we were pretty organized regarding that. I mean, it, it happened that we forgot stuff, but then still it, it was maybe since we were in the Vienna region only, it was maybe half an hour to an hour drive. I mean, it wasn't the end of the world if we forgot something. But it barely happened. But of course, that worried me nevertheless. I hated installing. That's the most superstitious I've ever gotten. <laughs> uh, I rem I'm, I'm not a superstitious guy, but I I got to the point where don't say certain things to me. <laughs> don't don't. There was I was on a job with one guy who was like, he was he was perfectly fine, but he was. 
I don't know. He didn't want. I I wanted to get the job done cleanly. I wanted the people to not think we were total garbage. I wanted to be professional when I got out there. I really wanted to be in and out and like I was I was friendly, but I didn't want to like talk and hang out. I wanted to, and we went on this job site. We brought all the tools upstairs. It was in an apartment building. We brought this railing and we had to go to the ele- we had to do the service elevator and, and install and bring the paper down to put the put the boxes down and well, what are we going to need? And we have two toolboxes and we have the drills and then we have the stuff just in case something happens and we can't keep anything in the truck because it's on the street. So we have to bring everything upstairs. Yep. By the time we got everything upstairs and we put the railing down and we had cardboard on the floors and we had to take our shoes off and all this stuff and everything like that, the woman offered the guy I was installing with, who was the lead guy. I was not the lead guy. I was there to help. Offered him coffee. And he says, oh, I'd love some coffee. And he went to sit down at the kitchen table. And I gave him this look like, bro, this is super duper not the time to drink coffee. And the reason why is because if something goes wrong, they're going to remember you hanging out for coffee. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we had coffee, but only when the work was done. Right, customers, customers, um, like asked us to have it before, but we always said let's 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 get the work done, and then we can sit down and like um, make the payment and all that. We always did it uh, with installation, or most of the time, um, at least the uh, you know we we took a deposit and then the rest of it. Um, but yeah, coffees had to be had uh, after after the work was done. Obviously, I mean that's well, the that's- only way to do it. That's the thing, because if, if you can have a, you're joking around and having a nice cordial time, and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you got to break bad news, like, oh, this is wrong, or the size is wrong, and all they remember is the fucking, you know, the, all the time you're sitting at the counter. And I had to grab him, and I'd be like, I know you're the lead guy, but we got to, don't drink coffee, get this fucking thing in. And I, and they had this, I, I was like, I would talk to, when I would talk to people, uh, the, my, uh, my old lead man who, he and I were very superstitious, but he used to make fun of me for being superstitious. <laughs> and he would say to me, he would say to me to get me crazy. He would say, we're going to install this rail so fast. It's going to make your head spin. And I'm like, God damn it, John, don't say it. He's like, Oh, he's like, this will be the fastest we've ever installed a job. And I'm like, I don't want you to fuck keep saying it. And it was like, he knew that I was, he knew that it got me crazy. I'm like, ah, oh, this thing's over. I don't even think I have to show up. It was like everything I hated. I hated installing. I just remember those nights of, do I have enough drill bits for the for the taps? And what if they break? And do we have redundancies? And did I forget something? And everything it was. I've never been more stressed in my life. But how long in any job I've ever had? Stressed in terms of jobs. Yeah. Than when I was in charge of installation boxes. It was I was the, in charge of installation boxes at two different shops, and I would make a whole thing to and. We didn't have a job truck where we had separate tools for the shop and the truck, just because that's nobody really does that. No, nobody we, really we didn't have that either. That's that's that so, would be luxury. I mean, that would be the right way to do it. To be honest, you hear you hear people say that that's the way to do it, but I'm just like, bro, you don't have an extra four thousand dollars worth of tools in your truck. Uh, you I know? don't know if four thousand would be enough. To be honest, no. I mean, but at the same time, it's just like wrench, extra wrenches. Like you know, yeah. even if it was just like wrenches and screwdrivers, and it's you know, not you don't always have the sh- same tools. To be honest, I mean, you no. uh, We we always changed up depending on the job. Yeah, but so for both shops, 
I would make a whole thing if you're gonna charge. You're gonna charge me. You're going to you know give me the responsibility of prepping the truck. I get a whole day to make sure we have everything. You know that I'd be in charge of like the the clips that we put on or make sure that we have enough screws and the paint you know it's never just like screwdrivers and shit it's it's making sure you have all the parts for the installation and and they're wrapped up correctly and so both shops i would just say to the boss like i will make sure we have everything there but you got to give me the whole day like i need a whole day beforehand just to make sure we go there and it's and it's gonna it's gonna save us on not coming back but you know even if i did that i'd have checklists and i'd go through everything and i knew where everything was and i still would not sleep at night i think i think people underestimate the effort i mean not only the tools but um packing everything securely around the car i mean you have to secure it with some um how do you say it you know with some bungee cords yeah, not yeah. just bungee cords with ratchet straps and you got to make sure that it's, it, it doesn't get scratched exactly can you leave the truck on the street the night before when, with all the tools what that's the other thing can you load your truck up the night before an installation and is it going to be safe yeah i mean we had a garage yeah. like oh uh, garage? sometimes yeah. we would have to leave there was one job oh God damn, this is bringing it up. We were doing, we went from, the interesting thing about fabrication, uh, metalwork in New York is the uh, glazers. Glazers are people who work with uh, windows and storefronts. Metal workers and uh, iron workers and stuff like that tend to most deal more with glass than they do with steel. Like, you know, obviously there's structures and stuff like that, but like in, in, you know, storefronts and stuff, we had to install an awning, a glass awning in Boston. And we had to drive four hours to install it. So we had to, the day before I ran, I had to go get the glass that was ordered and we had to put the, we had to put the glass in. One of the people said, we're counting. He's, he said to me, this is one of the owners says, I'm counting on you that this is going to go right. This has to be up today. No pressure. <laughs> when you get up tomorrow and you're, and we were loading up, we were loading up for this awning. It was all glass and it was glass panels and we had suction cups to hold the glass. It was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of stuff. And we had to get up to Boston and in Boston, it's different from other places because if you're doing any kind of construction, there has to be a you cannot start instruct uh, the construction until a police officer arrives in a car. What? So we had to they to they start they deal with traffic they deal with it's part of the job. Like you cannot start until the police officer is there. So okay. we had to drive. We left at three o'clock in the morning to get there at seven in the morning. We loaded up the night before. We had to go to sleep. Got in the car. I had to drive. The whole way and then we're at the job site we we start unloading and then they say you can't start anything until the police come well the police guy he just he took his fucking sweet time went to get a bagel went to get a food went to get what are we who are we gonna call you we cannot start this job and my boss was had told me he's like you cannot come back from boston until this awning is up <laughs> and now we're there and we have everything we're ready to go but the fucking cop isn't there and we can't start installing and the clock is ticking and we got we have a certain amount of time to get it done before they close the, sh- the the job site down and then we have to drive back in the 4 hours it was that's the moment i'm dialing 911 <laughs> 
And this fucker showed up like 45 minutes later than he was supposed to be there. He didn't give a fuck. He sat in his car and he couldn't care less what we had to say. It had nothing to do with him. He's like, I got here when I got here. But it, it cost us 45 minutes, but that 45 minutes was so crucial to getting this thing done. It was, it was an awning of a hotel, a hotel that people were in business. You know, they were having people come in and out. Yeah. It was, I'll never forget how stressful installations are. Never. I hated it. Yeah. Uh, no, they, they didn't worry me as much, I will admit. But yeah, I mean, we, we didn't have the, the four hours, hours drive. Um, and that wasn't very often. That was a one time deal. It was like we were the only people who could do the job. Yeah, but I think even still, I, I think Vienna is a little easier with parking. And, you know, I think New York <laughs> might be a little busier than Vienna. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, and traffic, you know, you, you wouldn't most of the time drive just 30 minutes back to your shop and get the tool you need. Right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny, Oh, you were saying, sorry. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just drive back only 30 minutes. Like we would, um, you would drive longer in New York. I'm guessing. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I have another funny story. So we were installing a uh, steel work at this very famous donut place called the donut plant. There's this very famous New York donut restaurant. Uh, okay. It's called the donut plant. They're unbelievable donuts. Like, creme brulee donuts they were constantly giving us donuts we were just like oh my god it's unbelievable i mean they were really shockingly good (laughs) and we had to install all this stuff this this giant steel cage and all this furniture and stuff and we had a truck with uh commercial plates but there was this stipulation that you had to have the name of the company on the side of the company truck for the plates in, at, for new york city yep. the commercial plates weren't enough so we could park in front but the cur- commercial plates weren't enough and every day this traffic cop would cop would come up and we had a magnet that said the name of the business on the magnet and every day he would come up he would just grab the magnet pull it back a little bit and then write us a ticket for like a you know almost two hundred dollars and I, why are you giving us a ticket he's like you have to have a permanent permanent signage on your car so we went back oh. to the, the shop and we told the boss, I'm like, look, this is what he said. You get the ticket and he ripped it up. And he says, just figure it out tomorrow. The next day, same thing. We're installing. We see the cop. I run outside. I'm like, look, we have the, this is a, I don't care, magnetic sign. Here's your ticket. And then the third day, I was like, F-, and I, I gave the ticket to my boss the next day. He's fucking mad at me. And I'm thinking to myself, this is your goddamn truck. This is your responsibility. This isn't my responsibility. 100%. So the next day. I saw that goddamn traffic cop walking up the street, same goddamn one, and he saw their truck, and he looked at it, and I grabbed the first Sharpie I could find, and I wrote the name of the company. I wrote the fucking address. I wrote the telephone number all in Sharpie on the side of the door of the car, and I said, <laughs> fuck my boss. I'm like, I can't. He's either this or he takes another ticket, and the cop came up. He looked. He saw that I drew, I, and I didn't, like, scribble it. I, like, wrote it nicely, big things. <laughs> He looks at it. He looks at me. I'm holding the Sharpie. He sees I put it on. I'm like, you can't. Get, it's permanent now. You can't give me the ticket now. And the guy goes, yeah, I can't give you the ticket now. So we went back to the <laughs> shop that night. I told my boss, I'm like, look, I'm either coming home with, you got Sharpie on the side of the, the, the truck or you're getting another ticket is your choice. So he said, he said, you did the right thing. Tomorrow I'm going to have the girl at the shop uh, bring it to a place to get a professionally signed you know, sign put up. 
She brings the truck to the shop to get it professionally signed. She brings it back, and I look at it, and I'm like, well, why did they spell the name wrong? It's, it, the, there was, the word accessories was in the name of the company. Yeah. She didn't know how to spell accessories. So it, oh. it was completely spelled incorrectly. And it was for me, it was hilarious because it was just like, you should have kept the fucking Sharpie on because at least I would have spelled it right, the name of the company right. But I'll never forget dealing with these cops. They, 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 they could care less. Yeah, although I, I mean, <laughs> I think that was the responsibility of your ex-boss. <laughs> of course, it was. But at the same time, it's like, that's the thing. It's yes, of course, there's a responsibility. But it's like, you know, I got to deal with it. I got to deal with dealing with the ticket or whatever. I'm like, I'm fucking yeah, your problem. I, I, I personally of course. care. I mean, I would I would take the ticket off the cop. I would say I'll, I'll forward it to my boss. And that would be it. I wouldn't even bother. B uh, bother. It's. The, the shop, the, the shop, the second shop that I was in was very fast paced, like super fast paced. And it was so much, there was so much money, but so much loss and earning that it was hard to, it was hard to, you just had to like, you had to get the job done no matter what. Yeah. And I just like it for some reason, that thing that, that off, I hated the bureaucracy of it all. I hated parking in the city. I hated, I didn't like installing it all. I can't think of, do you have any funny installation stories? Um, I mean, one time we had to install on a like um, insulation um, of of a you know of a house a house insulation like um, how do you say it's styrofoam? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was way thicker than we thought, and that was a huge problem. And then we ended up uh, instead of it, it was it was really it was very unprofessional. But I'm not proud of it. But we ended up um, screwing in um, like some bigger um, plastic doubles, which had a thread on them. They were to you know you can mount something into styrofoam, but of course nothing as heavy as a um, like. How do you say a fence for a window? What What is the correct name? Oh, a grill. Yeah, yeah, a grill. Nothing as heavy as a grill. And we mounted that shit onto the styrofoam with those doubles, uh, like the grill directly onto the <sighs> thick styrofoam. I mean, yeah, it was what it was. We, 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 we uh, did it. It looked nice, but it's not very secure. I mean, if I would like use all force, I think I could rip it out of that thing i have one story i have and i wish my friend john was here we installed and i don't know if this translates well for you but we worked for this famous actress and her name is felicia rashad felicia rashad was i don't know if you ever i don't know if you had the cosby show growing up yeah the, the cosby show mrs huxtable uh i don't know the name the mother oh the, the, yeah, mother. the mother yeah yeah of course the mother so we made railings for the mother. Okay. And nice. we went to her house and she had a beautiful house and she fell in love with the lead guy, my friend John, who has this Alabama accent. <laughs> okay. And she would she would this is Mrs. Huxtable from the Cosby show. <laughs> she would coo at him. She would just she just wanted to hear his voice. And she sounded just like Claire Huxtable from the Goddamn Cosby show. And we would be there, and it was so surreal because she was cooing at him, and she was just talking in this, and she just wanted to hear his voice, and she would bring us food, and it was like, and I just turned to John, and I said, I think you're going to fuck 
Mrs. Cosby. I feel, I feel like this is going to happen. I mean, and he's just like, no, I can't. I'm like, dude, she's, all she wants to do is hear your voice and hear your accent. And you sound a little fucking bananas. <laughs> well, it was, no, I was breaking his balls, but it was fucking bananas. And I just remember we were installing these railings in her house and they were probably the nicest job we ever did. It was all these scrolls and spliced scrolls and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful job and she was super duper nice, but it was very off-putting that we spent our childhood watching her on TV and she was kind of coming on to John and it was just like, it was bizarre and we'd get back in the car and he's just like, I think Mrs. Huxtable likes me. And I was just like, yeah, fucking she does. It was hilarious. <laughs> and I remember at one point we were at the top of a staircase and I accidentally dropped a bolt and he caught it right before. He's just like, you almost killed Mrs. Huck. You almost killed Mrs. Cosby. You know that, right? And I was just like, oh God, if I had fucking Imagine. dropped a bolt <laughs> on the head of, on the head of, of uh, Felicia Rashad, it would have been just total murder. <laughs> well, this was fun. Totally. Did you have fun? Yeah. <laughs> What's next for Ben Camone? What are you up to now? Um, What's going on? I've made a fully stainless Gomai uh, getting or uh, yeah Gomai blade in house made uh, yeah Gomai, and I yeah. delivered that to Eating Tools and let um, Sharp by Coop make pictures before. So that thing will be ready for the reboot of Eating Tools. He will have a new website and all that. I don't know if you've seen. So I'm excited about that About that because I think we will have a podcast as well. I'm shamelessly pl plugging it now. Um, well, you're going to have a podcast with uh, Abe? Yeah, with Abe. About his Ooh. reboot of the website and all that, and and he will. Uh, have they start. Is, he, is Abe starting a podcast? No, no, no. He will have just for the for the reboot of his uh, website. I think he will have some Q and A thingy going on. Not a real uh. podcast, but you know uh, something along those lines. Did you I hear me? Like, did you hear me bristle? Like, is he starting? Someone's starting another podcast. You should have <laughs> him on. He he's a great I want to have uh, him on. talker and, and I, I love I love Abe. I'll definitely. I'm gonna talk to Abe. I'll have him on soon. Um, don't he, he, it will be a, a great conversation, I'm sure. Well, listen, you're always welcome, Ben. We were supposed to have Ben Snur on too. This is the second attempt. We're going to figure it out. He had technical problems. That doesn't matter. Ben, you're always welcome on here. I love talking to you. I love, you know, I love your perspective on things. And we didn't get to any of the weird news, but you know what? We had a good time talking about 100%. grinders and installation and everything else. So we'll definitely have you back. You have an open invitation, especially if you got something you're gonna come up to promote. You don't even you don't have to come up to promote. You're always welcome on here. Thanks, man. Enjoy talking to you as well. And you know. <laughs> time passes by like nothing with you <laughs> that's good well if you like it then the listeners like it and i like it so listen guys we're going to see you next week we have a good i'm not telling you who we have anymore because it's just like some things don't happen very well but i appreciate all the kind words you guys had for me in regards to last episode with my daughter uh it was great it was great we're doing okay everyone's doing okay and i really appreciate if you want to um interact with the show 
Go to the Full Blast podcast on Instagram. You can send us DMs. You can send questions to the to the guests. I'm going to start to pepper in questions to our guests, and they can be random questions, whatever you want. So go to uh, Full Blast podcast on Instagram. And um, I appreciate your I appreciate you guys very much. You've been super supportive. Ben, you're always welcome on here. It's always great to talk to you, and thank you so much. Oh, guys, so follow Ben Camon on Instagram. <laughs> you already follow him. It's Camon. Is, what is it on Instagram? Common underline knives. Common underline knives. So go follow him. You already do. And check out Eating Tools. See what's going to happen. The new things, the new website's going to come up and Ben's going to be prominently on there. So guys, thanks again. Ben, you're the man. Thank you so much. Servus, baba, und goodbye. <laughs> this show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.